Happy Tuesday, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. It is Tuesday, June 14th, and I'm your host, Vincent Shen, here to talk consumer retail with Fool.com contributor Asit Sharma, who is joining us today via Skype. Great to have you back, Asit. Uh, you know, I really liked having you on the show last time. I think we have a really great one in store for today as well. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Vince. I'm glad to be back, and I want to add one thing. It's summer. It's time to get together with friends, throw some delicious food on the grill, and reach for an ice cold investment idea. There you That's go. To today. <laughs> <laughs> so, how fitting because uh, for today, I'm in dubbing this as the official industry focused happy hour for this week. So, it turns out today is actually National Bourbon Day, which happens to be my usual drink of choice. So, I thought it would be fitting for Austin and I to cover some of the latest developments in the alcoholic beverage industry. So, first, we're going to talk a little bit about the upcoming spinoff and IPO or potential IPO of Constellation Brands wine business. And then we'll cover some high growth opportunities in craft beer, some you know crazy new categories like alcoholic sodas, and the newest category, alcoholic flavored water. And we'll wrap up with the most controversial story, which I think is just a very uh, great example of innovation in the space, which is SodaStream's beer bar, which is, in other words, beer from concentrate, and the potential for that to be uh, popular in the US, though it's launching in Europe first. But we're going to work through quite a few shelves at the bar, so let's get started, Asit. The first company is Constellation Brands, tickers STZ. They're a major player in the industry with about a $30 billion market cap. Uh, they are the third largest uh, beer producer in the U.S., and similarly, the biggest multi-category company in the United States, meaning they offer the trifecta of beer, wine, and spirits, though you know that might not be the case after we talk about this segment. And then, rather... Uh, you know, like unlike its bigger competitors, where they might hone in on a specific uh, beer or spirits uh, specifically, uh, you know, Constellation's management team, though, it seems like they might be trying to move away from the multi-category. What do you think? Yeah, it's a great point. A lot of our listeners are familiar with Constellation brands because they've watched the stock price shoot up over six hundred thirty percent these last five years. And they've done that by building a foundation first of this multi-category manufacturer slash marketer in spirits, wine, and beer. But in 2013, Constellation Brands bought the Mexican beer portfolio from Anheuser-Busch InBev. And as part of that agreement, uh, Constellation Brands got the distribution rights for this beer portfolio uh, in the United States. And that enabled the company to take off. Beer has become the predominant business. It's still a very well diversified business, but the beer sales are through the roof. And uh, Constellation Brands has invested in new manufacturing capacity, several billion dollars to build new bottling plants, new distribution uh, just south of the border in Mexico. So they are starting to lean towards becoming more of a beer centric company. Okay, and I think something to really that kind of drives that home too is you know the company has spent uh, when I calculated almost five billion dollars I think on M and A in the past three to four years, and the bulk of that has been dedicated to beer properties. Uh, you know, one of the more recent ones was the Ballast Point deal worth a billion dollars. I think it's one of the largest, if not the largest, craft beer acquisition to date, uh, and uh, you know a pretty clear indicator of how fo- focused they are now on that particular category. 
That's true. And what we see in that particular acquisition is the potential in craft beer is phenomenal because that market is growing very quickly. If you think back 10 to 20 years ago, you had a very limited selection. When you walked into a grocery store of beers to buy, they were dominated by the big brands. But this whole change in the way people consume beers has meant that those companies which can grab the market share are going to win. And Constellation Brands Management is very aware of this. They don't mind putting up big dollars to buy small, uh, sometimes obscure companies so that they can scale those companies up. And of course, Ballast Point is not really an obscure company. On the West Coast, it's known very well. And among craft breweries, uh, it's one of the larger ones. But this idea to go in, scoop up a small company, and then scale the distribution through a wide system like Constellation Brands is uh, an attacking strategy, but it's one in the long run which should increase their earnings and help grow their revenues consistently above where the beer market is growing. So, you know, you mentioned the growth rates. Do you feel like that is potentially one of the reasons why, you know, has to, why the company is really thinking about uh, spinning off, you know, what they have in Canada, which is one of the leading wine producers. I think, you know, one of the top premium wine names worldwide, actually. So, could you just walk us through maybe a little bit what management's thinking, uh, you know, with this spinoff, if this really makes sense? Sure. So, in the company's most recent conference call, management said, hey, our Canadian wine business isn't getting the visibility uh, that we think it deserves. And these conference calls are great. You have to almost have a Google Translate for management speak. And I want to translate that for you. What that really means is, hey, we don't think this uh, Canadian wine business is returning as much to our bottom line as it should. Because obviously, if this was making good money out in the Canadian market, there would be no need to spin it off. And if you look at this business, it was acquired uh, several years ago and has never really been a huge part of the business uh, maybe was destined to grow at a good clip, but that ne growth never really materialized. And last year, the Canadian wine business uh, booked about uh, less than $600 million in sales, and that's in U.S. dollars. And the previous year, it had booked just under $700 million in sales. So you actually see a, a little bit of decline in that business. Now, we have to look at the reasons for this. Number one is that uh, the U.S. dollar has really ramped up against world currencies. And anyone who invests in consumer goods knows this because you've seen the reports come back from the companies you hold, and they always cite dollar strength and foreign currency translation. Those are sort of buzzwords for our earnings aren't as great as we expected that they would be. But uh, over the border, the, the loonie, the Canadian dollar, has... Uh, really depreciated versus the greenback. And so it's trading at just under 80 cents uh, to one US dollar. And what that means is when Constellation Brands translates its earnings back into dollar, it takes a big slice um, off the top. The other thing which we've seen is this goes back to Vince, your comment about acquisitions. Constellation Brands management has taken on quite a lot of debt to finance acquisitions and also to build out capacity. So the debt keeps growing, but so do the earnings because these are typically smart acquisitions. When you start doing this cyclically, like almost every year, you start to look at the other parts of your business, and those that aren't growing as quickly don't look as great to you because they have a limited capacity to pay 
that debt down. So what management really wants to do here is trade one thing for another. They'd like to uh, give wings to this Canadian wine business, let it fly on its own, take those proceeds, pay down some debt, and once that debt is paid down, they're going to re-up. They're going to borrow more money and maybe buy some more of these craft beer companies that we've talked about. So it seems to me like management is kind of just shifting their priorities here. And I really like the comment that you made up at the management speak, needing the translator, because it, as you mentioned, just the need for them to kind of switch over to the higher the what appears to them to be the better stronger opportunity in terms of growth rates and long-term uh, success so overall you think constellation branch is becoming a more beer centric company yeah absolutely i think they are and this company has been very careful over the years to spread its revenue out between the spirits business the wine business and the beer business but i think we're going to see maybe a three to five year shift where Beer takes the lion's share of the earnings, not by a lot. They're they're a circumspect company, but you may see that revenue be become 55, 60, 65 percent in the next three to five years, and we can count on them to sort of swing that pendulum back because this management team is careful about not not putting all of their uh, wine bottles into one wine case. That's great. That's great. So you're talking about uh, you know a lot of high growth in beer. So let's just move right into that topic and talk a little bit about you know what a lot of people have referred to as the craft beer explosion. Um, just a number I pulled from the Brewers Association, which still amazes me every time, is how you know in the past thirty years in 1986 there were just 124 craft breweries. Now there's 4,200 more than that actually, and you know over three decades of time that's incredible growth. Yeah, I mean, this is amazing growth. And if you live in an area of the country where craft uh, breweries are coming up, you can see that. I happen to live in Raleigh, North Carolina, and we have sort of a craft beer explosion here and in Asheville, which is a major city in the western part of the state. And I know in Northern Virginia, you guys see that also. Uh, For our listeners who are out on the West Coast, it's no surprise for you. It seems like you cannot walk within your city a few blocks without seeing a new craft brewery uh, in some of these hot spots. And why this is exploding, there's a few reasons. Uh, one is that consumer tastes obviously have changed. Millennials have a taste for the artisan product, the craft product, and folks are stepping in both to fill that need, but there are just a lot of people who have uh, jumped in. It's not an expensive business to start. You can start it in your kitchen uh, and maybe it catches on. So, although we know that many of those breweries won't last for the long term, there are a surprising number of craft breweries that are finding local, regional, and some of them national distribution. Uh, and, and I'd like to also point to those growth statistics. What surprised me was the size of the craft beer market. In just a few years, it's grown to a $22 billion business. So that is now one-fifth the size of the entire beer market in the U.S., and that is a mind-boggling statistic. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me, I, you know, I think we've seen this trend quite a bit with some of the mega brewers. Think of the more traditional companies that we used to know or used to follow more closely, you know, Anheuser-Busch, InBev. Uh, and I mentioned the Ballast Point deal with Constellation Brands. That a lot of them are trying to buy into this, uh, into this trend, into this, into these growth rates that you mentioned. Uh, even though technically, when they do, 
these craft brewers lose their official status as a craft brewer. That's true. And when we first saw this uh, happening, it almost seemed like something underhanded because you would find that Anheuser-Busch owned the craft brewery that you really like. They, they very quietly bought up some of these small breweries. In fact, Anheuser-Busch has bought eight craft breweries since 2011. And in the beginning, the early days, five years ago, they would disclose, hey, we spent $20 million on this small craft brewery or, or $30 million. But as the years have gone on, they don't disclose quite as often. In fact, I couldn't find a number for their latest acquisition, which was just a few months ago, uh, Devil's Backbone Brewery. And that is in Virginia, near where you are, Vince. Mm -hmm. Couldn't get terms on that deal. And uh, it was eye-opening for us. You mentioned the Ballast Point Brewery deal that Constellation Brands uh, took on last year, that it was a, a $1 billion deal. So that really lifted the veil on what's been going on. In the interim, these companies are now spending not just tens of millions, but hundreds of millions to buy small breweries. It shows you how willing the giants are to pay for growth. Uh, this category has a 13% compounded annual growth rate. And if you look at the beer business in general, it trends globally at just under 3%. So it's just beating inflation. And if you had the deep pockets of an SAB Miller or an Anheuser-Busch in Bev, you probably would do the same thing. If you have the cash on your balance sheet and you can buy the growth, you would also be hopping in a car and traveling up and down the East Coast, the West Coast of the United States and visiting some of these breweries. Absolutely. And uh, just a curious thought I had, too, is the idea you mentioned that how a lot of these uh, bigger companies aren't disclosing the terms of these deals anymore. And it seems like there was this arms race, so to speak, of uh, craft brewery acquisitions. And, you know, they just essentially want to prevent like these just the overall value or the price they have to pay for these breweries to keep going up if every brewery sees you know, each latest press release, the number keeps going higher and higher for their competitors. Yeah, and, and this is something they really shouldn't do. Someone should sit down with these management teams and, and tell them, you are working against yourself. Because put yourself into a small craft brewery's shoes. Vince, if you and I started a business and we decided at some point, hey, let's let's leave the fool and sell this beer. It, it's just going bonkers. And one of these companies walked in our door, and we knew that terms weren't being disclosed. We would not demand top dollar. We would find an exorbitant sum and name that sum. So when you put a cloud over the valuations of deals, it works. It cuts both ways. It makes your competitors also. Uh, close up their dealings, but for the people who are in the driver's seat, the people with the product, it gives them a lot of power because they can virtually name their price, and I believe that's what Ballast Point did. And anyone who thought that this business isn't for real just has to look at that $1 billion price tag for $50 million in revenue. Uh, they really should be disclosing this as quickly as they can. We paid I don't know, $300 million for XYZ Brewery, they would end up paying less in the future uh, on their acquisitions. Yeah, I think so too. So, uh, you know, moving quickly, because we have a lot more to cover here, is some newer categories. You know, we talk about craft beer kind of being this uh, this newer trend, this recent uh, 
this recent success that they've seen, but they're not uh, craft beer. You know that kind of expands into these newer product categories, like we're going to talk about now, alcoholic sodas and even flavored water with you know pretty decent alcoholic content. And uh, you know this was uh, started for alcoholic sodas specifically. Uh, you know based on my research, it seemed like there's a small town brewery, a really small operation, very fitting of the name. You know, not they released a not your father's root beer, and there's an awesome Chicago Tribune article kind of profiling the founders, some of the controversies there too that I think is really interesting. But basically, this product released just a few years ago. I think it was back in uh, 2011 or 2012, and then once it reached uh, national distribution, uh, its popularity grew so much that I think within 10 months it had become the six. It made Small Town Brewery the sixth best-selling craft brew brand. And that is just unbelievable. I think a lot of uh, industry insiders were shocked by how successful they were. And it's really launched this new category of alcoholic root beers, alcoholic sodas in general. Uh, what do you think about the, this new this you know, new offering? Well, kudos to Small Town Brewery for opening up this category. I think I read that their sales on this were $92 million last year, which pushed the entire category up to $116 million. So it's phenomenal that they have such a huge share of this very new market for alcoholic sodas. And I think what this says about this small niche, you see something very similar in the non-alcoholic beverage sector. I'd like to talk about that for just a moment. Let's talk about Coke. So Coke has an entire venture capital arm. It's called VEB. It's a division of the company that tries to locate small and up-and-coming soda brands or natural juice brands. And once those brands start selling within the low tens of million dollars, Coke keeps tabs on them. And as they get towards this magical number of $100 million, Coke takes more and more of an interest. And uh, many of our podcast listeners are familiar with Honest Tea. This is a great example of that, a company which had less than $100 million of sales that Coke actually ended up completely acquiring. So the $100 million mark is a magnet for attention. Uh, Be you a big non-alcoholic beverage company like Coke or Dr. Pepper Snapple, or on the alcoholic beverage side, again, the SAB Millers, the Anheuser-Busch, the Constellation brands of the world. And what the single brewery did was push the category up to the level where it gained uh, quite a bit of attention. And uh, so Anheuser-Busch has jumped in now with their version, excuse me for saying this on the air, Best Damn Root Beer. (laughs) And SAB Miller is offering Henry's Hard Soda. But the goal of both of these would be to quickly also get them up somewhere around the $100 million mark or more. And I find it fascinating. Um, what's your opinion, Vince? Do you think this is I – have, I have an opinion on how this category is going to grow over the next five years. But let me ask you first, what do you think this small niche category is going to do, let's say, in the next five years? So I would say originally, actually, I was a little bit more skeptical. Uh, you know, incredible growth, but I didn't know how sustainable that would actually be. But I actually just looking at soda consumption overall. I know a lot of people talk about the fact that uh, 
an increased awareness of health and you know how uh, what we put into our bodies, our diets, essentially is leading to a you know long-term decline in soda consumption. But the fact of the matter is that you know top 20 soda drinking countries data I could find in 20 for 2014 from Euromonitor International, Argentina at about 155 liters per capita. United States is number two at 100, about 154, and the next three countries to round out the top five are Chile, Mexico, and Uruguay, around 140 to 112 liters per capita. Whereas, you know, in the U.S., beer consumption is only about 76 liters per capita. So that's, you know, basically a two to one ratio there. So it makes me realize that there is this really big opportunity for these companies uh, to essentially cross. The aisle from the soda consumption to beer and vice versa, and that is just seeing that two to one ratio of soda to beer consumption. I really think the opportunity is actually bigger than I had, you know, my original skeptical eye. But uh, you know, putting the the value on it, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I think those are great points. And uh, one thing I would add to that is I follow Coke as an investment, and I know that. Despite all the press here and the declining consumption of soda in the U.S., as you pointed out, around the world it's actually blossoming. And I know in India, uh, which is a huge market for Coke, they don't sell on price like they do in the U.S. They sell on volume, so they lower the price, and they're just trying to gain market share. But it's it's a popular drink, and soft drinks are popular, whether you agree with that marketing strategy or not. However, you feel about sodas. Um, and their potentially harmful effects on us as we consume them long term. Warren Buffett would disagree. Uh, however, you feel about that, sodas are still very popular. And although in more developed com- countries they are declining in consumption, they're they're actually growing in the rest of the world. So, really briefly, I think in this category, I'm going to make a totally unscientific prediction that this uh, market of alcoholic sodas is going to double within the next five years. And that sounds like maybe a bold prediction, but we have to consider right now it's only just over $100 million. So if a few big players do indeed step in and scale distribution, it's not that uh, big a goal to actually achieve. So I think it, we'll see within the next five years something like a 20% uh, compounded annual growth rate. But after that, I'm sort of with you, Vince. Who knows what happens from there? Does it really become huge? Uh, or does it taper off and, and plateau? We'll just have to see. But it's going to grow in these next few years for, for certain at a good clip. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the uh, some of the other markets as well, because the fact of the matter is, you know, even that the big Anheuser Busch deal, you know, their uh, big deal with uh, with SAB Miller, you know, they talk a lot about trying to target, uh, you know, Africa, Asia, South American markets, and those are also happen to be the markets that show the most. Uh, growth in soda consumption. So here is an exa- uh, an opportunity, an example of an opportunity here where that they can really leverage those uh, those you know more macro trends for themselves. And so moving on to uh, you know one last topic, we're running out of time here is something I really want to talk to you about, which is the SodaStream beer bar, uh, which was announced just a few weeks ago. Uh, Market reaction seemed to be pretty positive. It jumped five percent the day of the announcement. But can you just give us a quick rundown here of what we're looking at? Sure. So this is a product that's right now introduced by SodaStream in Germany and Switzerland, I believe, soon coming to the U.S. And basically, this is a concentrate uh, which will emulate 
beer. Uh, the company calls it beer, but actually it's, it's slightly different. The concentrate has some glucose syrup in it. Uh, it has an aroma of hops, so perhaps not really hops in the concentrate. And you can put it into your soda stream and uh, churn out beer. It's got about 4.5% alcohol by volume. So it's a, it's a light beer in terms of alcohol. And it's going to be fairly cheap. The concentrate one liter uh, at today's exchange rates is somewhere under three and a half dollars, which will make about three liters of this Blondie beer, the first offering in SodaStream's quote unquote beer bar. So uh, this is a, a new product, perhaps not truly beer, but an intriguing one nonetheless. And uh, we are going to see in the US how the SodaStream current owners adopt this. Many people are skeptical. For those of you who read beer blogs or are beer connoisseurs, you've probably heard this product trashed. But uh, as Vince and I, we had a conversation yesterday, as Vince pointed out to me, and I'll, I'll let you take over here, Vince. Uh, you haven't seen a review yet uh, in Europe where it's, it's currently, so we really don't know what the initial indications about this beer are. Yeah, I'm really. I have to say, I'm really curious. Uh, initial launches in Germany and Switzerland. Uh, I think two very uh, strong beer drinking countries. Uh, Germany is usually up there in terms of per capita beer consumption. Switzerland, I, I think, has some of the most breweries uh, in the entire continent. And I think maybe if they can get the product to have a strong reception there, that gives them some like street credibility, essentially. But I think a big uh, thing that makes this so attractive is, you know, you think about a home brewing kit, which might take days at the least, usually about weeks to produce your own batch, whereas here you can do it in potentially seconds. And it's very cost effective. You mentioned the 350 for that liter of mix to make three liters. I think I calculated it out to be about 3.3 cents or so per ounce of beer for this blondie through the beer bar. Whereas if you were to go buy your standard case of maybe a uh, Miller Lite or Bud Light, it comes to closer to five or six cents. So, so for some people, maybe not as discerning, not as concerned with the traditions of how beer is brewed, how it's made, just kind of looking for something that tastes good and maybe give them a nice buzz. I could see this potentially working, but in the end, I have to say, it, you know, it's definitely going to be an uphill battle for them to kind of market this out because ultimately it's a beer from concentrate. True. And uh, as you pointed out, there's no accounting for taste. So it's hard to say what the consumer latches onto, what really catches fire, and what totally flops. Just a couple of quick comments uh, on this. So I think this is what SodaStream as a company needs to do. They need to innovate. Uh, they have been able to reinvent themselves a couple of times. They start out as uh, a cold soda type uh, purveyor of, of soft drinks, and now they've moved that to healthier categories. And they, to me, they have almost a new lease on life because the Keurig Cold, uh, which made by Keurig a cold uh, machine, has been retired by Keurig's new owner, JAB Holding Company. So a potential huge competitor, which was backed by the Coca-Cola Company, has now been mothballed. So this ought to be an opportunity for SodaStream to come up with new uh, innovations like this. The other thing which we want to be aware of here is that this Blondie or beer bar is a prelude to an upcoming product from SodaStream due to hit the second half this year called the SodaStream Mix. And that is going to allow consumers at home to mix their own cocktails. This goes back to the alcoholic soda, alcoholic flavored water categories that we've talked about. You'll be able to 
make a hundred different recipes with liquor uh, or sparkling wines, and that's going to be a really interesting product for SodaStream. We'll have to see again if this is something that totally flops. Uh, it does have a higher price point. Um, the the machine is going to be somewhere I've heard priced between two hundred fifty to three hundred dollars, and that was one thing that killed the cult. But SodaStream does have a more loyal clientele who's used to buying their products. So uh, again, one of these things to anticipate, but the, at the bottom line is the company is doing what it needs to do. It needs to keep innovating. Last year, sales declined by 19.3%. And this is the year next year to stabilize those sales and help them grow again. All right. Thank you very much, Asit. We are tapped out for day on time. But you can order another round with us via Twitter at MF Industry Focus or send us any questions or comments via email to industryfocus at fool.com. You can also enjoy the other great podcasts from The Motley Fool by checking out fool.com slash podcast. People on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based only on what you hear during the program. Thanks for listening and Fool on. <laughs>